This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, Louisiana is home to approximately 40% of coastal wetlands in the continental United States. But they are now at risk after a new ruling has limited the authority of the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, and dramatically weakens the Clean Water Act, a pollution control act that's over 50 years old. That story, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus. Hi, Delaney. Hi, Carolyn. And managing editor Katie Rechtal. Hey, Katie. Hey. Hey, guys. Delaney, the U.S. Supreme Court made a ruling this past May which radically diminishes the authority of the EPA. These new provisions, which took effect on September 8th, change how the federal government recognizes waters of the United States through the Clean Water Act and struck down key federal protections for many of the country's wetlands, those not visibly connected to navigable waters. We will talk about what the, what that means for Louisiana in a minute. But first, Delaney, can you give me a history of the Clean Water Act? Yes. So the Clean Water Act turned 51 uh, this week. It was passed as it is known now as the Clean Water Act in 1972, but it started the, fir- the first um, Water Pollution Control Act was passed in 1948. And provisions including protections for wetlands were added when it became the Clean Water Act in 1972. Okay. And what did it what did it say? How did it change the way we treat these um, non-navigable waters in the United States? The Clean Water Act established um, a definition for waters of the United States, and it established a structure for regulating pollutants. Um, it gave the EPA the authority to implement those pollution control programs, such as wastewater standards for industry. Um, It also made it unlawful for people to discharge pollutants into navigable waters um, unless they had a permit. Um, It funded the construction of sewage treatment plants and, you know, recognized the need for planning to address other water pollution problems. Okay. Its goal really was to... um, to clean up our nation's water because it was very highly polluted at that time. Yeah. Katie, you and I probably remember those days in the seventies. I I vivid, I have a vivid memory of that, um, that American Indian television ad where he's looking out over, I think there were at that time, Lake Erie maybe caught on fire and there was so much, interest suddenly in pollution. And do you remember that TV ad where the American Indian was looking out over, they cut together all these images of polluted water and trash everywhere. And this Indian guy had a tear rolling slowly down his face. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, I remember um, being shown that I was pretty young at the time, but I remember being shown that by my, by, um, by my um, older cousin, I remember there was a lot of um, discussion about it, family, because it was 
you know, it was all this thing about don't litter. We're mm-hmm. really trying to be environmental through personal actions, which, you know, is not, as you know, Delaney, I think that's always the big misleading moment is thinking that each person, each person can do their own bit, but really what, what we've learned is that um, industry is the biggest polluter and that our little, our little efforts are kind of almost ceremonial, right? Is that, that not what we, what we've learned? It is a takeaway. Yeah. Um, the industrial pollution is really what um, led to the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency and then the creation of the Clean Water Act. Um, I think it was specifically a fire on Cleveland's Cuyahoga River uh, uh-huh. in 1969 that really sparked um, this intense scrutiny of how much industry was dumping into our waterways because they were dumping enough that the waters caught fire. Like, so the EPA came about in 1970 and then the clean water act was passed in 1972. Okay. The reason why I even bring up the little personal thing, by the way, is just because it feels to me like it's interesting that what pushed this is very much, you know, a very private situation. It's a very private landowner, small, small potatoes kind of people who are pushed this major wetlands change, right? Yes, and I do think that is very and a very interesting aspect of these Supreme Court cases that keep happening. The the cases that are changing the definition of waters of the USA are not cases that involve big industry. They're cases with individuals who want to fill in wetlands to build a home or to build a shopping mall. Um, and it's having outsized effects on how we control um, pollution across the country. Right. So tell us about the, dis- that was a 5-4 decision in May. <laughs> the decision in May um, is a case known as the Sackett versus the EPA. Um, and the Sacketts, uh, Michael and Chantel Sackett, they're a couple that live in Idaho and they have a lot on a lake. And they wanted to fill in a portion of that lot to build a nice lakeside home. Um, And they thought that the EPA was being too restrictive in telling them that they were not allowed to do this because of a small parcel of wetlands that were on their property. Um, And so the Supreme Court decided that they should be allowed to build their home um, that a road was separating the wetlands in question from the lake. So they were no, are no longer considered waters of the United States because they are no, no longer adjacent to this lake, which is a navigable water. Um, and this has created a lot of confusion um, over what the new uh, definition means and how it's going to play out in, in future case law. So if, um, if, if water, if wetlands are not connected to navigable waters now, they fall into the same category as the Sackett property. In other words, they could be built upon, they could be bulldozed, they could be any, any number of things. And in the, in Louisiana dredged. Um, dredged. Yes. Yeah. Wetlands are very um, important in the hydrological system. They are 
scientifically connected to waters of the United States. And this, this new legal definition does not change how wetlands behave scientifically or how we think of them scientifically, but it does change these regulations, which is what is so confusing and offers and, and threatening to some of these lands that are historically connected to navigable waters. What's hard is that, that okay, you look at this, the description, I've never seen the Sackett's lot in Idaho, but I can tell you that I can see that maybe, okay, they want to fill in the back of their lot and build a lakefront home. Everybody's done that forever and ever. And, and for some reason, part of their lot is labeled wetlands, right? So everybody's saying, basically, Delaney, correct me if I'm wrong, court justices are basically saying their ruling is on behalf of this lot, which doesn't seem to be water and doesn't need to be precluded from development. So the ruling is on behalf of that, but then there's all these affirming decisions that that differ with the definition of wetlands. And so even though they're changing the definition of wetlands, what they really just wanted to do was let those people build their their house on the lake, right? So yes. how this flows from that is sort of crazy, right? Yeah, the, the decision um, is really about that lot, this one lot in Idaho. Um, but along with allowing them to build there, they had to redefine um, what waters of the United States are, how, how what they are considered. Um, and this has been an ongoing legal saga. There have been uh, pushes since the 1990s from industry to uh, change these regulations. Um, there was another case in 2006 um, where somebody filled in uh, wetlands on their private property. I think this one was in Michigan. Yes, a landowner in Michigan. He was trying to build Michigan. a shopping mall, right? Yeah. Yes, he was trying to build a shopping mall. His name's, it was Rapinoe versus the United States. And the Supreme Court could not come together to make a decision on that one. So this question of how wetlands should be considered when we're talking about waters of the United States has been a question in legal scholars' um, debates since 2006. And so this case really, case this year in March, kind of answers that question. It, it says we are going to separate about half of the world's wetlands from the waters that they have historically been connected to. And that is making them lose some protection. And it's very interesting because some of the Supreme Court justices who supported this decision to allow the Sacketts to build on their lot in Idaho have said that changing this definition is going too far, um, but the court still made its ruling and the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers had to update their policies, update the definition of waters of the USA, and it's going to have effects that we still need to wait and see what will happen. The way you describe it, it almost seems like the, well, it was a split decision, but it almost seems that that the consequences in order to, to settle this, in order to, to have settled law, 
about the definition of the Clean Water Act or this case, um, it seems like some of the consequences for the Clean Water Act might be some of the unknowns and unintended repercussions. Like, we're just not sure of what that may mean down the road. Yeah, yes. Um, the, the change in definition opens the possibility for developers to do more, to, to dredge and fill in certain wetlands that before were protected under the Clean Water Act. And there are other mechanisms that protect some wetlands um, across the state. For example, the coastal wetlands in Louisiana are regulated by the state, um, and those regulations are meant to limit impact of development. But the Clean Water Act really meant, is meant to protect these waters of the United States, and now wetlands are no longer considered included if there is a separation. And it's also this question of what does that mean? What does a separation mean? Mm -hmm. Is a road a separation? Is a levee a separation? A, a, a dike? A berm? We don't know yet. We probably won't know until this goes to, um, until there is a case where someone is trying to fill in wetlands that are separated by a levee and it goes to court. Right. So in the past, a, a developer, for example, or, or a, a, a industry um, would never even consider applying for a permit if wetlands existed because the Clean Water Act. Now they may apply for permits with the Army Corps of Engineers because there's this window of opportunity or this, this open door, I suppose. Yes, there's a possibility that they will get these permits now. Okay. 40% of the U.S.'s wetlands are in Louisiana. Tell us about the wetlands in, in the, the state. 40% of the continental U.S.'s wetlands are in Louisiana. Okay. Um, and Louisiana talks to, we, Louisiana loves the coastal wetlands. You know, we talk a lot about um, coastal restoration um, and bringing the wetlands back to life. Um, and it's been really wonderful to have moved here and, and get out and go see all of these coastal wetlands. They're really beautiful. And I'm glad that there are organizations, government agencies that are dedicated to preserving them, bringing them back. Um, but it is scary because they, they were, they used to all be covered under the Clean Water Act. And now they, some of them might be severed from that historic connection that they have. Um, coastal water wetlands are generally more protected because they are tidal. They are connected to the ocean, and the ocean is clearly a navigable water. The Gulf of Mexico is a water of the United States. And so those most of the coastal wetlands probably should still be protected by the Clean Water Act. But there is this question of does a levee or does a road separate it? Like, it, we're just not sure yet. Yeah. How do wetlands function? So wetlands function um, in a lot of ways. Um, they are the key habitat for a lot of wildlife. They serve as nurseries for a lot of um, fisheries, uh, birds, other wildlife. And they improve water quality. They um, really filter out some of the 
um, nutrients that are, it, they, it filters out some of the excess nutrients from our, our waterways. Mm. Um, and so we've talked before about how agriculture puts excess nutrients into the Mississippi River, for example, and these wetlands are really what draws out what gets what sucks up the nutrients before they just end up in the ocean um, where they do a lot of harm. In wetlands, they are helping um, plant life grow. The plants are, they, everything that's growing in a wetland really depends on those nutrients and they use it to create life and it's really beautiful. Um, and if they aren't there, those nutrients are not used and are going to end up hurting fish. And there's two different metaphors in, in the story about, um, about our two different examples. People call them different, compare them to different kind of filtering systems. I thought it, it's, it's sort of interesting, right? You want to maybe describe that for, for Carolyn, what, um, yes. what's your yeah. guy Murph saying? <laughs> yeah. um, well, one, one thing that wetlands have been called is uh, watershed kidneys. They help to process pollution, those excess nutrients. Um, they also store water in a way that can prevent flooding. Coastal wetlands act as feed bumps. And when we have storm surge coming in from from hurricanes and, and whatnot, they can help protect uh, human infrastructure further inland. And I spoke with a, a legal advocate at the National Wildlife Federation, and he described wetlands as the Brita filters of our, hmm. our water system. Cool. And so they really, they draw out the pollution and the they're very important for the overall health of our, our water systems because they take out those excess nutrients that are great for the growing of wetland plants, but not great for wildlife. So how alarming is this for environmental advocates? It's alarming, especially for inland and non-tidal wetlands that don't have as clear of a connection to a navigable water such as the ocean or a large lake. And, and it's concerning. Um, an Earth Justice study found that more than half of the country's 118 million acres of wetlands are now unprotected because of this change in a legal definition. And it's concerning. We don't really know what's going to happen, but I, it's scary that we are limiting the language that protects us from pollution instead of <laughs> trying to strengthen that. Do the wetlands act as any sort of buffer for, I guess, the danger has maybe passed or been at least tamped down for now of the salt wedge? Did the wetlands play any part in that? This salt that was moving up the Mississippi River from the Gulf? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I I don't think they necessarily no they don't and if too much salt water it, it doesn't play a role um okay. other than the salt salt might actually be bad for them for the wetlands like it might harm there but there's not a lot of wetlands like in the Mississippi River it's it's dredging that really caused that whole salt water mm, wedge okay. fiasco all right but now more wetlands um 
more people can apply for permits with the Army Corps of Engineers to dredge or backfill their wetlands, mm-hmm. which is very concerning. Did you go out into them, Delaney? Any? Did you set foot in some wetland? I did. Recently, I went to the Wax Lake Delta, um, which is a very beautiful spot. Wax Lake is beautiful, right? It's like one of the places that that um, is growing, where the wetlands are actually growing off the coast of Louisiana. And it's just so pleasant to be there and see. There's new land that wasn't there. I mean, it's astounding to me that you can actually step out onto what was water and there's solid land. Yeah. Like that's, I guess that's the way Mississippi is supposed to work, right? Yes. So the Wax Lake Delta is this part of the Atchafalaya Basin, which is a river that takes some of the water from the Mississippi River. So everything's connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but these coastal wetlands are really beautiful and they've been growing. Um, it's we have satellite pictures from 1984 and from today and you can just see these beautiful deltas and land just growing out into into the gulf of mexico and and i got the opportunity to go and to travel on an airboat uh and really to go see firsthand the life that is coming back into these spaces that were previously just water now there's land and we even you know we got off the boat and we got onto the land and i was surrounded by scientists who were taking core samples um and they were really showing us the level of of soil accretion how much the land was growing it was it's very cool to see so many people that care so much about our wetlands can you describe what it felt like underfoot yeah um it depends on where you go. So in the Wax Lake Delta, we, we stood on land that was very solid, um, but land that had come about in the last 10 or 20 years. Mm. Um, we also saw a portion of land that is rising. Um, so there was a portion, it was high tide, unfortunately, so we didn't get to stand on the newest part of land that gets exposed um, at low tide. But I took a trip down to the end of Plaquemines Parish, and we actually did get to stand on some of this this newest land <laughs> in in the country, in, in Louisiana, and it was squishy. <laughs> like cool. it, was, um, it, it felt really cool. It was all this, you know, soft sediment, sand, and it wasn't the firmest, um, but it was firm enough to keep birds up. There were birds that were using it as a stopover. Um, and my feet sunk in. I, I got really covered in this new, this new sediment. I actually fell. Um, <laughs> but it was really lovely to see it and to know that it, that wasn't there months ago. The, the scientists that I was with there, they said, they couldn't walk on it months ago. Oh, so cool. It was really great to be able to get off the boat there and actually walk on some of this new land that will eventually germinate plants. It'll eventually have, it'll turn back into wetlands from just ocean. Right. What about any scent or sound? The birds. I mean, I love the, the sound of the birds is, is wonderful. And I love that mm. they, um, 
are regaining some of this coastal territory. And, you know, one of the fears from this change in the Clean Water Act is that birds will lose a lot of their their habitat. They depend on wetlands of all kinds all across the country at different points in their lives. And they need them to be clean and they need them you know, to exist. Uh, okay, so at this point, we now are kind of in a waiting game, I guess, to see if if someone will try to take advantage of this new ruling by dredging or filling or otherwise damming um, or damaging a an inland wetland in Louisiana or elsewhere in the U.S. and see see how much teeth this new ruling has. I think the other thing that was interesting, too, was the Brett Kavanaugh concurring decision that d- differed on the definition talk, and he specifically mentioned the levee system along the Mississippi River and how that that could be viewed as a dividing line between navigable water and non-navigable water, and um, thus things that were separated from a le- by a levee, like by a Sauvage, for instance, in the eastern in east. New Orleans could be considered non-wetlands under the new definition, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll go into that. Um, so Justice Brett Kavanaugh um, did agree with the majority of the court in that the Sacketts, the couple in Idaho, should be able to fill in their lot and build a home there. What he didn't agree with was um, the changes that 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 decision brought to how we consider waters of the United States because it forced this change um, in what adjacent means. Before, wetlands were connected to navigable waters, even if there was a road or a levee or something that blocks this continuous surface connection that the Supreme Court is now requiring. The Supreme Court has changed the law to require a continuous surface connection. And Brett Kavanaugh, who thought that this couple should be able to build in Idaho, did not think that the new wetlands definition was beneficial. He thought that it went against a previous case law and that it went against how the EPA has been operating. And he specifically named the levee system along the Mississippi River. Mm. He said that it would seemingly preclude the Clean Water Act's coverage of adjacent wetlands on the other side of the levees, even though the adjacent wetlands are often an important part of the flood control project. So it's very interesting to see these differing opinions, even within the majority who voted in favor of this one couple in Idaho. They don't all have the same beliefs about how this should impact all waters of the United States. Right. But it is having this impact. That's why we need to figure out really what it means. And and that's not going to happen until we have more challenges to the case law, I think. Well, and we're not lawyers, none of us, but this looks like an open door no. for that, for a challenge. Yeah. And there's, of course, uh, state regulations for wetlands, um, and they they differ, but there have been there have been examples of states that are stepping up and are already writing 
um, better protections of wetlands into their state law, but there's also cases like North Carolina, which has already uh, voted to restrict um, laws protecting wetlands in the state. They they say they said we will not have any protections that go further than this new Supreme Court definition. There's going to be, we're just going to have to walk across the country and listen to environmental advocates and lawyers who are paying attention to where these cases are happening because they, they're going to they're gonna start happening. Um, it's a deeply reported story and a great story. Thank you, Delaney. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. It's a great one. And you sound good talking about it too, Delaney. Really, always. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, y'all. Have a good weekend. All right. See this is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus and managing editor Katie Rechtal. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.